Hello, and welcome to another episode of Balanced Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to reintroduce to you now. Registered dietitian Michelle Hearn is a returning guest on our podcast. You can check out her compelling story on episode 80 of our show. After years on a high-carbohydrate diet, intense running sessions, struggling with an eating disorder, and feeling the throes of anxiety and depression, Michelle, she knew, knew, Michelle knew she knew, needed to make a change. She found other options, such as low-carbohydrate, ketogenic, and carnivore-heavy diets that can mitigate our risk for metabolic illness and restore us to health. These ways of eating can reverse diabetes, alleviate depression, pave the way to heal eating disorders, allow us to age gracefully, and prevent heart disease. She is the author of the fantastic book, The Dietitian's Dilemma. What would you do if your health was restored by doing the opposite of everything you were taught? You can find Michelle on Instagram at run, eat, meet, repeat, but only if you can catch her first. Michelle Hearn, welcome back. Hey, thank you so much for having me back on. Absolutely. It's such an honor. Um, you are a busy person always, and you are busy winning races. Congratulations on your recent win. Thank you. It was just, it was really nice, you know, since uh, COVID, our races have been really restricted. So it was nice to get back out there and just uh, get a good run in. It was a lot of fun. That's great. So um, did it mean a lot more now that, you know, events have been gone for so long? Did, Did you feel like it's like more meaningful now? I think so. And just getting back out there, I'd forgotten how much I love, like, you know, the camaraderie and the competition. And it's just, you know, so lucky to have like, you know, the volunteers are great. And my, you know, my wife comes out and cheers me on. So it was, uh, it was special. It was a really special day. That's awesome. So, uh, tell us about the event. Oh, so, um, I live in the Pacific Northwest. So this was a half marathon and I'm using, I have, um, this event and then I have two marathons. I have one in September and one October, and we're using these kind of as stepping stones for my 50 mile event that I'm doing in November. So yeah, this was a two loop course, um, about, you know, little over six miles each loop. And <laughs> there was a pretty gnarly mile, uh, I'm sorry, pretty gnarly hill at mile uh, three. And so I was like, oh man, I knew that second loop was going to be a little bit tough, but then you got to go uh, down a nice uh, downhill. So, so yeah, it was just a half marathon, um, went really well. We're actually having kind of unseasonably warm temperatures here out in the Pacific Northwest. So that was the only thing that made it kind of a tougher day, but overall it was a really good run. That's great. I'm always curious, um, athletes who eat lower carbohydrate or ketogenic or carnivore diets, how they fuel for events like this, this for me would probably be something that I would fast for, but what, what do you choose to do to enhance your performance, uh, before an event like this? Oh yeah. So, you know, anything less than about two hours, especially since like we're not quite in the phase yet where we're really, um, utilizing race nutrition. So my race isn't until November. So yeah. So for this race, you know, I just have coffee in the morning and, um, have S fuels. S fuels is a low carbohydrate drink. It's got one gram of carbohydrates and a little bit of coconut oil and collagen protein. So I just had that before and, um, water during, <laughs> so nice. it was funny cause I couldn't, uh, you know, normally they have cups out there. Um, that you just run by and grab the cup, but because of COVID, you had to like stop and pour the water. And that was normally, I would have just been like, ah, forget it, you know, but it was so warm that I did have to stop uh, real quick twice. But, um, but yeah, overall it was a really good event. Sure. Oh, that's awesome. You mentioned camaraderie and we have had the opportunity to interview now several ultra marathoners and they have me super convinced of two things. One is that I will never do one, (laughs) but two, (laughs) I will be volunteering for one. They, that looks like so much fun to be part of that community. And I would absolutely volunteer my time to hand out water, do rest station stuff. I'm still not going to do one, but, um, I would love to hang out with them. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, you seeing people, you just, you really put your heart into it, you know, and it, anything from a, not even an ultra marathon, a 5k up, just seeing how much people push and how hard they go and how we, you know, it's, it's just, it's beautiful. People encourage each other. We're cheering each other on, you know, people we don't even know. So it's a, it's a really cool thing. I'm, I'm, I love being part of the running community. That's awesome. I love that. Well, we called you up, um, for a very specific reason today. Um, and it was a post that you made about a quote unquote study that has been recently, um, released. I had seen it maybe a week before, um, and it's just so ridiculous. Um, I'm going to just warn the listener right now. If you if you have sensitive hearing, you're going to hear me go off on this. We're going to drop some F-bombs here. I, I get really worked up about this. Um, and it was about a week later that you posted something on Instagram where you very eloquently and simply took some of the main points of that study and showed why they were so absolutely ridiculous. And I don't understand how these things are able to be propagated. And these headlines grab people's attentions and change people's you know thoughts about nutrition what is healthy and, and until they get way too confused and then they go see i knew it i knew keto was a fad i'm gonna go back to eating cold cereal and skim milk it's bullshit it's total bullshit so i would love um to talk a little bit with you about that study um you know maybe we can start with um you know who did it and and what kind of things they looked at yeah yeah so the study um like you said it was done on the ketogenic diet and the the committee who did it they're called the um Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. So whenever I saw that, I was just like, oh no. <laughs> what they are is they're a, um, they're a ethical vegan group, basically. They they believe in plant-based diets. I mean, their mission statement is has to do with um, teaching, encouraging, utilizing plant-based diets. So they are very biased initially, just like before you know anything about them, their main goal is to um, drive plant-based diets. I'm very familiar with a few of the dietitians on the panel uh, one in particular has written books and done continuing education credits for dietitians on how dangerous meat is, how can you can raise your children on vegan diets, um, all stuff that I think is pretty um, unethical that's in my unethical. in my view. So yeah, so that's uh, so just before you even <laughs> when I saw that study and then I saw it was you know that the it was from the physicians committee I was like oh no this is not going to be good um, and yeah it was it was really hard to read because it was. I mean, it was done really poorly and there were a few things, you know, I wrote a, a much, much longer blog and I'm not sure I'm going to put on my website, but I wanted to break it down, you know, my Instagram, just really quick and bullet point. Um, but yeah, like you and I talked about a little bit offline and, you know, a lot of people, unfortunately, they just read headlines and then they freak out. They don't look at the studies that are cited or they don't ask questions, you know, and unfortunately now, um, all, every headline that you see, like they're, they make their money through advertising or getting clicks, by getting people to click on it and comment and freak out. And so, yeah. And, you know, from what I understand, the study's done a good job of that. I've had a lot of people reach out to me and say like, did you see this study? I'm like, Oh God, yes, I saw it. And it's, it's really bad. It's really, it's poorly organized. I mean, I would be very, um, I don't know, I guess I would say I'd be ashamed to put something out there like that specifically since we have so much evidence to the contrary. Yeah, sure. So let's talk a little bit about studies themselves because there is a, a big difference between how studies are done and they kind of almost have like a hierarchy of which ones you should listen to and trust the most. Um, you know, what? can you explain the difference between like epidemiology and like a randomized control trial? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so epidemiology deals with, we're just like, we're looking at a group of people. We're like making observational studies. And what epidemiology is supposed to be used for is to then take your hypothesis and take it into a randomized controlled trial. Like for example, let's say I 
for example, saw a group of people eating a bunch of meat and they were really lean, um, epidemiology would say, okay, these people are lean. Um, they're lean because they eat a lot of meat. Um, and that would be, that would be your study. That's epidemiology. I saw it, I observed it, and then I'm putting it out there. But what you actually need to do is you need to do a randomized control trial or study. You need to test that theory. Is it because they're eating a lot of meat? Is it be, does it have nothing to do with that? Is it because of something else? Because what epidemiology does is it says correlation equals causation. This is happening. A is happening. So it must be B, which is really dangerous because, <laughs> you know, there's lots of memes and other things about this. It, it may have nothing to do with the other. So it's really, it can be really misleading. Mm. Yeah. So in fairness, like doing a randomized controlled trial in nutrition is very, very difficult. I mean, I, I would consider, you know, the Minnesota coronary trial to be one that it's hard because you have to take, you know, a groups of people, separate them, control every single variable that you possibly can save one thing and follow those outcomes for a really long time. And like these diseases, you know, they take decades to build up. And so doing a randomized controlled trial is really difficult, but it's also, you're right. The causation correlation thing. If you look at a big group of people and start making, you know, guesses or assumptions based on how they're acting, that, that gets to be pretty tough. You can't show cause. I mean, the closest thing that I can think of that epidemiolo epidemiology has helped us out with was smoking, but they showed it was mm -hmm. like 40 times more likely that, you know, somebody who smoked would get lung cancer versus somebody who wouldn't like you have to get up to that level of certainty before you're even close to trying to link conclusions and causality. Right. Exactly. And yeah, randomized control trials are really challenging with humans, you know, and that's why a lot of times people will do them with rats or with you know, other animals um, and like you said, humans just, it's hard to control <laughs> everything. You know, it's like with a, with, you know, a rat or something, you can control exactly what they're eating, what time you can do all these different tests for humans. I mean, it's, it's hard. Like you said, it, it's hard to get people that are willing to be followed, analyzed that for a specific period of time. And there's also not really money in it per se, unless you're trying to prove that, um, some specific type of drug can fix, uh, an ailment, which is usually what randomized control trials are do. But another thing is meta-analysis, you know, some really good studies are done by meta-analysis, meaning they look at thousands and thousands of people and get a ton of different data together and analyze all the different factors. Um, yeah. And another issue we'll talk about with, with this nonsense keto study was they used a lot of um, food frequency questionnaires. So uh, if anybody is listening to this and they're a dietitian or they know a dietitian or they've ever had to pull one of those out, like one it asks you what you've eaten over the last week, few weeks. I don't remember what I ate yesterday. And people lie a lot on those things. You know, people generally will skew what they want the dietitian or the health professional they think they should answer. So basing something like an actual study off that is really, really a bad idea. Mm. So <laughs> I have the one from Harvard and it is absolutely ridiculous. You're, it gives you a few different options on how often you eat apples, but they don't specify. It, it'll say like in parentheses, like an apple from a tree or a canned apple or something. And it's like, well, what? kind of apple. Like there's so much more context and nuance to that. And if you're listening to this, please, 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 I'm going to link this in the show notes, go into the show notes and look up cups of ribs. So you can see this point. There's a really funny short video where they're asking a guy like these types of questions, like how often do you eat cheese? And he's like, holds up six fingers. He's like, well, the only option is up to four. So he like uh, puts 
four down and you don't know how, how much, you know, cheese he's actually eating or what kind it is. And then it gets to ribs and he, he says he eats like six ribs a week and they're like, no, we need that measured in cups. And so he has to like hilariously blend it. It's, it's really good. <laughs> We're going to link to that. Make sure you see that. I wanted to just point out, like, those are a few different types of studies, but below that, like lower quality than that is what we would call expert opinion, where this would be like a group of white coats, doctors who say, we think this, we had a committee, maybe we had a vote. Maybe it was unanimous, maybe it was 50-50, but we think this and here you go. And a lot of people probably don't realize that's what our nutritional guidelines are based on. Yeah, unfortunately, the nutrition guidelines, I mean, there's a long history of how they how they came to be. And unfortunately, most people still believe that it has to do with human health and keeping, you know, as healthy, where in reality, you know, especially at this point in history, it really has to do with um you know, corporate sponsorship, money, there's very little to do with human health. I mean, we have lots of evidence that, you know, eating processed carbohydrates and eating, you know, too many carbohydrates in general can cause diabetes, obesity, heart disease, metabolic syndrome. Yet, you know, that remains the bottom of the food pyramid, uh, or now it's the my plate, you know, it's, they change it all the time. Um, we know in 2014, they came out with them, um, they found out that the Harvard scientists were paid to uh, put the blame on fat instead of sugar for heart disease. Um, and this, this occurred in the 60s that they basically threw uh, threw fat under the bus when it was very evident that sugar and elevated uh, glycemic index was the driver of heart disease. But back then you didn't have to um, release who was funding your study. You do actually have to do that today. So the public had no idea, you know? So we just, over time, there's been so much corporate influence, um, even into my profession, you know, the dietitians, the governing board of all dietitians, the Academy of Nutrition is wow. highly sponsored by um, processed food companies, Frito-Lay, General Mills, used to be Coca-Cola and Hershey's. Um, I also found out today they're, what else? They're a national, there's a new one I didn't know about, National Confectioners Association. <laughs> Wow. So that's another, that's a new one for 2021. So the sugar candy association. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, when, obviously when you have those corporate sponsors, your, your, your main goal as a business is to make sure your shareholders and stakeholders have profit, right? See, see profits coming and that can only happen if we're keeping people perpetually sick. We can't, we can't heal people. Um, so it's really sad, you know, it's a business, it's not designed for health. I think most people, might, might know that on some level, but unfortunately, if you're depending on the healthcare system to help you with your chronic diseases, you're going to, you're going to be very disappointed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was just yesterday I was in the store and you walk by the vending machine and on the vending machine with, you know, gallons of soda behind it, there's the little sticker that says balance what you eat, drink and do. And it's like the food companies are there to confuse you and mislead you so that you'll buy their products and think you can walk this off later. Like this isn't going to cause any damage. So stupid. So I want to talk about this study in particular and some of the claims and, and maybe we can deep dive into some of the things they're saying and what that was based on and why it's just totally bullshit. Sure. Let's do it. Awesome. So what was their first claim? Um, I want to say that, let's see, it, it, it was, it, they, they said it was the most comprehensive review yet um, that, that keto will, will cause heart attacks, cancer risk, dangers to pregnant women and kidney patients. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. Um, gosh, I feel like they had one. I mean, they, they had a bunch, but those were kind of like their big five, right? Like, okay. And I mean, just looking at that, like it makes me really frustrated because it, well, let's just break it down. Let's just break it down. So let's talk about pregnant women. I mean, I, I can't think of a, a time, you know, I'm, 
I'm 38. I, I don't have kids, but my, uh, the youngest of four, my three older sisters have children, you know, and that is, that's a time in your life when you're, you're doing everything in your power to make sure your baby is safe. Right. Like I, people will change all kinds of things in their life just to make sure that the baby is born healthy and safe. And so to see something like that is terrifying. Like, Oh my God, if I'm a low carbohydrate eater, then my baby is going to, you know, I'm going to, I might have neural tube defects. Well, when I looked at this study, um, it was, the study was so bad. It was actually sent to a review board. I saw, a a doctor said, you need to change the name of this study because they were actually comparing a low carbohydrate diet to people that had folate fortified <laughs> high carbohydrate diets. So what does that mean? They were comparing people who were just eating um, low carbohydrate foods to people who were actually eating like cereals and breads and things that were fortified. So it was like that. You can't do that. You can't compare non-fortified foods to fortified foods. And they're also making the claim that a low carbohydrate diet is low in folate. And that's nonsense. Um, if you're a ketogenic human, you, you eat greens and you eat, um, you know, other things, other maybe vegetation that has some um, folate, but eggs, meat, liver, are extremely high in folate. And those are all things that are very low carbohydrate. And also they fail, they fail to mention in the study, if you actually like really dig into it, um, the people, the low carbohydrate people that had the neural tube defects were also smoking and drinking. <laughs> so <laughs> they didn't tease that out, wow. but you just like, you can't, uh, you have to actually, I had to actually go and pull up the study and look at it. So yes, if you are a high carbohydrate human and you're eating fortified corn flour and wheat flour, which these people were versus somebody who is eating low carbohydrate, very low quality foods. Like if you're just eating like, you know, butter and um, not that butter's a low quality food, but just you're, you're not eating anything with folate and you're smoking and drinking, then yes, you will have a higher risk. But that's that's a totally different statement, right? Um, and the person who actually, the the review board that that went after them said, I'm concerned because carbohydrates are a contributing factor to obesity that by saying this, you're actually scaring people away from a low carbohydrate diet and encouraging them to continue on with a high carbohydrate diet. So it was like, it's just, I mean, but the study was just so poorly done. Like you, once again, if you're, if you're going to compare high carbohydrate fortified foods, then you have to compare low carbohydrate with fortified foods. Sure. And then if you're going to, and you're going to have the people that are smoking and drinking with low carbohydrate, guess what? You have to do the same thing <laughs> or you have to eliminate those people, right? Like in studies, if somebody doesn't fit within the parameters and certainly that, that can impact pregnancy, then yeah. And, uh, so that, that was really frustrating to me that that study was just really, really poorly done. Wow. My mind went to two places. First of all, our evolution, like whenever would we had, you know, constant year round access to high carbohydrate foods to begin with. And then thinking about indigenous populations up in the North, like they have children, do their pregnant women just like drop dead all the time? Like if you go back a hundred years and see their diet, it's, it's protein and fat. They don't have vegetation. They can't eat, you know, plants maybe a little bit, it's part of the year, but most of the time they're going to be high fat, high protein. Do, do their, like their pregnant women just drop dead all the time? Like that would make no sense. No. And I also was looking at other, um, you know, case reports and studies and people who ate the most animal products, um, tend to have really high folate levels, right? Because they're getting a lot of the B12 and folate, especially in the, the darker, the more, <clears throat> excuse me, ruminant animals like, uh, lamb, beef, venison, um, and more indigenous people, if you're hunting like wild game, 
And throughout, throughout history and throughout evolution, you know, humans did more of like a nose to tail, right? They didn't just do the muscle mass or muscle meats. They would do the organs. They would do all the, the collagens and tissues and things. And we know that organs are extremely high in folate as well. So, you know, it wasn't really until I was looking through this more of, um, people really started the agricultural revolution where people were eating a lot of like rices and potatoes and things like that. And they weren't eating any plant material that we started to see a lot more of the neural tube effects. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's really interesting and kind of a follow-up, uh, article to this was suggesting like, is it, is it really the best, um, best process for humans to, to fortify all of our cereals and grains and breads with folate to make sure people may not have these neural tube defects, or would it make more sense to really teach people how to eat foods that are naturally high in folate, be it the greens, the, the meats, the eggs, the muscle meats, so they naturally get that folate. And obviously I think you and I agree um, on what we would prefer that, that humans do and humans eat. Um, also interesting, just to wrap up this study, one other thing that the people that had a low carbohydrate diet um, that did have the neural tube defects, it was an unplanned pregnancies. So most of the time, you know, if you're trying to get pregnant, you want to get pregnant, you will be um, probably not drinking, <laughs> you know, and probably trying to eat a little bit uh, different, maybe a little healthier, where a lot of the people in the study that were on the higher carb diet were actively seeking to get pregnant. So, um, you know, just other confounding factors that were not mentioned in the, in the study or the report that are that are present in the actual study. So, wow. So if you're a pregnant woman, um, you know, who's scared shitless about the study, like what would you encourage them to eat more of and how, how should they be um, constructing their diet? Is it just a lot of variation on whatever, like healthy meat and, 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 you know, fruits, vegetables, things like that they should be consuming? Yeah. Like whatever, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're praying, like kind of depending on what, if you're already following a specific way of eating, like if you're already a low carb eater or a um, you know, carnivore or ketogenic eater, you're likely getting some good animal-based protein. You know, if you are a vegan or vegetarian, I would definitely, um, encourage you to look at what has folate. And unfortunately, you know, just any type of vitamins, minerals, um, from plant material tends to be uh, less absorbed than animal products. So that might instant, that might be an instance where you want to look at a folic acid supplement, but if you are eating meat, which I always, I'm a big advocate for animal-based proteins, then yeah, continue to eat those ruminant animals, whatever you like, beef, lamb, venison, um, eggs is another good source. And then liver is, is probably one of the best sources. So I would say having that a few times a week is going to, is going to pretty much guarantee that you're going to get adequate folate stores. Gotcha. Perfect. Well, thanks for those recommendations. Let's take a look at the next claim. High protein diets hasten kidney failure. What, what are they talking about? Yeah. So high <laughs> for the general healthy population, high protein diets do not, but this has been debunked a zillion times over, you know, the, um, the human body is very, very good at utilizing protein. Protein has so many functions in the body, right? Like most people, if you just said, Hey, what does protein do? They would, Oh, it builds muscle, but it does so many different things. It's really important for your immune system. It's important for hormone production, collagen production, uh, cell to cell communication. Um, it has lots of different functions in your body. So, and your body is also very good at excreting protein that it doesn't need. So, you know, in general, I believe is a, is a population, especially the, um, elderly population, we don't get enough protein. So anyway, there's just, there's no truth at all to that. But if you take it a step further, which they did in the study as well, it look, they say that, you know, protein will exacerbate kidney disease. It'll cause someone who's in kidney failure to die, to go into, 
you know, it may, let's say you have chronic kidney disease or you're, you know, stage two or stage three, oh, it's going to make you go to stage four. Well, here's the problem. So the effect, you know, there's lots of studies. I'm going to read you a sentence from one, a low protein diet reduced the risk of kidney failure. Okay. And in stage renal disease. So this is what they claim in that the, the physician's committee. So they, they basically use the first part of a sentence. Uh, a low-protein diet reduced the risk of kidney failure and in-stage renal disease. All right, well, let's read the second part of the sentence. But it does not produce a clear beneficial effect for all cause death events. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, here's what happens, you guys. And there's another study we can talk about here. And I saw this in the hospital. I worked in the hospital for 11 years. Yes, if you are already in chronic kidney um, failure, so reducing your protein, it might prevent you from completely losing all your kidney function. But guess what? When you reduce your protein, you get malnutrition. You know, you're going to have this. This there was another really huge study I looked at. It, and this study said our data suggests that low protein diets trigger a constant catabolic state, which causes loss of protein. In fact, we observed a significant reduction of muscle mass at the end of the treatment. Wow. Um, and so they also say that there were several factors, you know, inflammation, hormonal balance, all these things. So yes, it, that it would be like you, I, I can't imagine just telling part of this story. It's basically like, yeah, Hey, let's, if you eat too much protein, then you're going to go into renal failure. But if you lower your protein, you're going to die of malnutrition, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's really sad. And I saw this happen in the hospital all the time. We put people on with kidney disease on low protein diets. They ended up with infections. They ended up with muscle wasting. They ended up with something much, much worse um, than potentially advancing, you know, their kidney failure. So, wow. so yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a scare tactic. And, you know, there's some really interesting research being done right now on, and this is a separate conversation, but um, keto analogs, which is amino acids, basically amino acids that are, are missing certain things that can actually prevent, um, the progression of kidney disease. So, I mean, the whole, the whole thing being like, yes, you need protein, you need amino acids. And I just don't think the data says, I mean, clearly the data says, doesn't say that if we, um, if we reduce protein, it, it doesn't have better outcomes, long-term right. outcomes for people with chronic kidney disease. Wow. So when I think also, I, and I don't know if the study looked at this, maybe you know, if I, if I think about most people, I, I don't think they're eating the way you and I choose to eat. Like we choose, you know, carnivore diet and we can kind of balance it out and be, be a little bit more strict. I don't think most people, if they are eating a high protein diet are eating that way, I would assume that the people eating high protein diets are eating hamburgers and also getting fries and soda and breakfast sandwiches and snacks during the day, maybe some protein powder as a supplement or something. But did they look at uh, the other ingredients in the diet or the, the makeup of, of the rest of the calories for people that they consider quote unquote high protein? Um, you know, I, I don't know. I do know that unfortunately, like the amount of protein that is recommended on these low protein diets is tends to be 0. 0.6 to 0. 0.8 grams per kilogram. Ugh. So that's not a lot, you know, let's say if you're a 200 pound human, I mean, maybe what is that? Um, I'd have to divide that by 2.2, 80 kilograms, 0. 0.6. So they're going to give you 40 to 50 grams of protein, Wow. you know, over time. And unfortunately, well, you're hungry. So what are you going to eat instead? Right? right. Lots of carbohydrates. And guess what? When you have kidney disease, you generally have to restrict your potassium and sodium. Okay. Well, whole grains are very high in, <laughs> in a lot of the, in a, those things are in phosphorus. I'm sorry, potassium, sodium, and phosphorus. So now you can't have 
uh, whole grains. So I can't have protein. I can't have whole grains. Well, I'm eating a shit ton of rice and white bread and mayo. And, you know, so it's just, it's a really, really bad diet and it's, it's really unfortunate, you know? So that's too bad. Yeah. When I think of kidney damage, I'm, I'm thinking the first place I go to is sugar. Absolutely. Yeah. It has to be a, a high sugar content, whatever, you know, the other macros look like in the diet, whether you're considered high protein or not, like I'm, I'm going to be pretty suspect of, of sugar in the diet causing most of the damage. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason that, you know, a lot of people with diabetes end up in kidney failure. No, it's just pretty rare. Occasionally we do see somebody that just has a, a rare genetic issue. I mean, a relatively young, you know, person that may have kidney failure, but um, 99% of the time, it's somebody slightly older or obese, diabetic, um, that goes into kidney failure just, and what, you know, we, we all, we know that type two diabetes is a direct result of, um, overconsumption of carbohydrates, sugar, processed carbohydrates over time. Yeah, that's right. Okay. This is a, this is a big one. People see this a lot. They get really concerned with this and it's keto diets cause an increase in your bad cholesterol. That's, that's quoted from the study, increase bad cholesterol. Yeah, that that really frustrated me because I kind of feel like I, I feel like that was something like my mom would call me and ask, like maybe somebody who doesn't really understand, you know, doesn't have a medical background or maybe just somebody at this grocery store, but that's not something a medical professional should say because we, we know now, I mean, LDL is the like black sheep of the blood proteins, but LDL has so many important functions in your body, right? LDL is part of our immune system and we have data, we have clinical data that people with higher LDL, specifically um, older people, actually had a increased um, outcomes when they had respiratory disease or um, gastrointestinal disease. The higher the LDL, the actually better they were at surviving. Um, I mean, I can read you a couple of studies here. I actually pulled them out. Meta-analysis of 68,000 people. Uh, the goal was to analyze what impact, if any, the total cholesterol of an individual had on the individual dying from infectious disease. The study found an inverse correlation. The higher the individual's total cholesterol and LDL, the less likely they were to die of a respiratory infection. A 15-year study of 120,000 patients, those with the highest total cholesterol had the lowest risk of being admitted to a hospital with an infection. And finally, a large meta-analysis of over 600,000 people um, the study's uh, reviewers concluded current evidence does not clearly support cardiovascular guidelines that encourage high consumption of polyunsaturated fatty acids and low consumption of total saturated fats. So basically, you're not doing yourself any favors chugging the canola oil and olive oil and uh, going easy on the eggs and stuff, right? So yeah, LDL. LDL, I think LDL scares people because we see it in arteries, right? We see... And, um, we see it, it looks like, uh, it looks like, like things that are saturated fat, like butter, tallow, it looks like, uh, you know, it's hard. It looks like the plaque we see in arteries. And so people, you know, doctors, especially in the sixties and seventies, you'd open up an artery, you'd see this LDL, you know, in there with that plaque. And you'd be like, oh my God, LDL caused plaque. And that was wrong. That was once again, going back to does, uh, <laughs> correlation equal causation. I see it here. It caused that. But what we found is that when um, LDL on its own is not enough to harden arteries, LDL on its own, you know, serves a lot of important functions. LDL is essential in helping you break down um, fatty acids. You would become malnourished without enough LDL because you need to break down the fat-soluble vitamins A, D, E, and K. Um, LDL is important in your immune system. Like we just talked about not having respiratory uh, diseases, gastrointestinal diseases. We actually 
have a study in my book, people with higher LDLs uh, survived COVID better. Um, so yeah, LDL on its own for LDL is getting blamed for, for heart disease. So why then, right? Like, why are we seeing it stuck in arteries? Well, we have a lot of evidence that when arteries become damaged, when there's inflammation in arteries, it's almost like they become sticky and LDL gets stuck. It's almost like this. You can think of it as like LDL is going to like try to fix the damage or LDL is going to try to like, you know, fix that inflammation. So what's causing the inflammation in the arteries? Do you have any idea? Mm, Maybe sugar. Yes. Yes. Bingo. And not, not necessarily just sugar, but hyperglycemia. When your blood sugar is elevated over time, that's why people with diabetes, Casey, have a up to a fourfold risk of having heart disease. When you're, um, I mean, there's like five or six really good studies in this, and I can send them to you. Uh, they're my book. That when when blood sugar is elevated over time, it starts to it starts to change the pH of your blood, and when that happens, it can damage the arteries, the artery walls of your heart, the artery walls of um, you know other things. People can get aneurysms in your brain. So you really, really, really don't want to have hyperglycemia. You don't want to be diabetic over time. It causes a lot of issues because in the absence of diabetes and the absence of high blood sugar and inflammation and oxidation, more LDL can actually be a really good thing. So that, so the study just, the the keto study, it was just a bunch of nonsense. It was saying that, um, you know, meat and fat raise your LDL. That's a thousand percent true. They're right. But they, they correlated that to causing heart disease. And once again, on its own, that does not cause heart disease. Mm. Throughout evolution, people ate meat and fat almost exclusively. We had zero risk of heart disease. We added lots of processed carbs, oils, sugars, you know, cereals, breads, and all of a sudden heart disease has increased exponentially. You cannot tell me that it's the meat and fat. <laughs> it makes no so. fucking sense. It makes no fucking sense. And I'm just, I'm so grateful for people like Dave Feldman, who, you know, his personal story is so amazing. He's one of the most world-renowned cholesterol experts in, in the world. But like he, he, he's not even a doctor. He's not a researcher. He, he was a software engineer who needed to lose some pounds this few years ago. So he goes on a keto diet, hit everything improves. He loses weight. He feels way better, but his LDL goes up. So he goes to his doctor mm-hmm. and says like, yo, what, what's going on? And ends up doing all this research and discovers that the cholesterol systems in our body work like an energy delivery system. And it's just part of the system. It's just part of what should happen. And the things that go along with that, like the, the, the pattern that he saw with himself is that his LDL, quote unquote, bad cholesterol shot up. But he also noticed that his HDL, the one we call like the good or the more protective cholesterol, that also went up. His um, his triglycerides were the other big one. His triglycerides were very, very low. So that's the fat that travels around in the blood, but it's caused by eating a lot of carbohydrates. And so he's been looking for a pattern where, you know, if this happens to somebody, is this a bad thing? And he's been looking for years and years, and to my knowledge, studied thousands and thousands of cholesterol profiles and has never found that to be dangerous or harmful in the least. A thousand percent. You know, when I, when I worked in the hospital and I saw patients with heart disease, they always had very high LDL, low HDL, extremely high triglycerides. And I would say 95% of the time had, um, you know, a hyperglycemia were diabetic, had an A1C often over nine or 10. Um, <laughs> but when you're eating a low carbohydrate diet, your blood sugar, you know, tends to be stable. I mean, it tends to be really low. It tends to be, you know, you're, you're not diabetic triglycerides tend to be 40 or under. 
And so, yeah, once again, that higher LDL, I'm not concerned about, you know, it's like people want to look at LDL in a vacuum, which is a big mistake. And then, then of course you have people that say like, oh, you can have heart disease, even if you're not diabetic. Yes, of course there's, there's instances with other systemic inflammation, um, you know, lupus, some, some type of autoimmune diseases can cause inflammation outside of blood sugar, but I can guarantee you that's not, that's not the main driver of issues in our nation. You know, it's a, it's a very small percentage. So, um, you know, really driving this and what really frustrates me about this, the physician's committee study is that, you know, a ketogenic diet actually prevents heart disease, right? It's going to keep your blood sugar low. It's going to you know, keep your blood sugar stable. It's going to keep your A1C low where when you eat these plant-based diets that they're recommending, you tend to eat a lot more carbohydrates, you know, and those are the things that raise your triglycerides. And those are the things that over time can raise your blood sugar and raise your A1C and actually contribute to heart disease. So that, that frustrates me a lot. And I think there's, I mean, you can just Google LDL online right now and it'll tell you it's the bad cholesterol, which is just really, it's really unfortunate and ill-informed. And it's also caused, um, so many people to walk into a doctor's office and get a statin, Mm -hmm. a prescription to help lower LDL. So once again, we know now that LDL can be a really good thing, can be really protective. So now we want to lower it. (laughs) (laughs) It's, uh, it's not good. And I, I shared that, um, you know, when I, when I worked in the hospital, I worked on a rehab floor and not like not like drug rehabilitation, like rehab for when people were in like an accident, they were going to be there for several months, uh, maybe at a stroke, a major burn. And I started to see a really scary pattern with a lot of people who came in who had had strokes that had been on an LDL for six months to a year. And um, I actually brought that information to our, our clinical director and said, look, I've been keeping track, you know, not no names or anything for HIPAA, but there's a large percentage of people. I just noticed a trend. And I was immediately told like, um, when I got my medical license, I could come back, you know, (laughs) go go to your dietitian work, stop, mind your own business. Right. So it's just, uh, we have a really backward system right now. We have a system where people believe that all carbohydrates are good. Sugar in moderation is fine. Meat and fat will kill you. Um, but yeah, the, the whole LDL and heart disease thing, it's just really unbounded. It's not, it's not true. Mm, yeah, that's crazy. And if you're the listener and you have this pattern happen to you where your LDL shoots up when you're trying a low carbohydrate diet, if you get confused about this, reach out to somebody who can help you answer questions or can show you different markers to be looking at that, that can tell you other things. Like, sure, we can investigate this and we, we can look at other, you know, sub fractionated particles of LDL, or we could look at things like HDL triglycerides. Um, A1C can be really important. There's other things that you can do. So don't be confused. Reach out, reach out to me, reach out to Michelle, anybody who can help you find, you know, the right things to be looking at. That one just, it's so fucking frustrating. <laughs> I get endlessly frustrated by that one. Um, another claim, keto foods linked to can- keto foods are linked to cancer, heart disease, diabetes, and Alzheimer's. Like what, what the fuck? What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's so funny. I feel like, uh, I feel like they really were reading over this. They really straw man the, um, the ketogenic diet, you know, like saying a ketogenic diet is full of canola oil and processed ham and processed cheese. And it's like, yeah, I mean, aren't Oreos vegan? Like any, you can technically, I guess, keto, get keto ratios, you know, a ketogenic diet being 60 to 70% fat, you know, 20 to 30% uh, protein and 10% or less carbohydrates. I guess you could get that on any ratio or on on these ultra processed foods. And we certainly know that ultra processed foods are not ideal for the human body. But to state like uh, that is like a broadband, like these are the foods that are you eat on ketogenic and this is what it causes. 
is once again, is just fear-mongering. And it also is just kind of, it really shows a lack of understanding of what a ketogenic diet is. And I think the people like these people, the physicians committee and all this fear-mongering and certainly in my profession as dietitians, because we're so afraid and because we've had all this like, oh, keto is bad. We, we haven't really taken the time to learn, you know, like what is a ketogenic diet? You know what foods don't cause cancer? Meat doesn't cause cancer. Avocados don't cause cancer. Blueberries don't cause cancer. Um, <laughs> chicken, beef, pork, bacon, liver, all these foods, sardines, uh, olive oil, nuts, those foods do not cause cancer. And those are all ketogenic foods, right? So to like directly say that this way of eating causes cancer is just, it's just ludicrous. You know, I, by this point in my career, I know thousands of people who followed low carb ketogenic diets and have robust health. You know, the people that I saw in the hospital, um, that were very sick tended to, you know, have more of the standard American diet and, uh, so yeah, so that's, that's ridiculous. And I can't even, I don't even know how, I mean, Alzheimer's and, um, diabetes. I mean, I guess we can start with diabetes. I mean, we have overwhelming data that a low carbohydrate reverses diabetes. I mean, there are studies that they were able to get people off 150 units of insulin in eight days, not eight <laughs> years, not eight months, not eight weeks, eight days. I had patients that were diabetic for decades and they were following a consistent carbohydrate diet where they ate 40, 50, 90 grams of carbohydrates every meal and dosed with insulin. And I'm here to tell you, you can reverse your diabetes in less than two weeks. You just need, you know, you need a doctor to help you taper off if you are on insulin or metformin, but a low carbohydrate diet is that powerful, but we've made people so afraid of it that they're going to stay sick for, for until, you know, you're going to have complications with diabetes. It's not if it's when. I've, I've never seen someone that had type two diabetes that the end wasn't pretty ugly. You can't have hyperglycemia over time and not be damaging your, your teeth, your brain, your nerves, um, your eyes, your bad. feet. Like it's, it's terrible. It's awful. Yeah. Peripheral neuropathy. You had a guy that came into the hospital. He'd stepped on a piece of glass, but he didn't come in for five days because he couldn't feel it. <laughs> so he, that's, is he had such bad peripheral neuropathy in his feet from diabetes so by the time he came to the hospital, he was septic, meaning he had an entire infection throughout his bloodstream. Um, and so he had to be in the ICU and it was just, it's a mess. It's really, really bad. And, you know, I'm not somebody here that let, I'm not telling anybody they have to do something or should do something, but I think people need to understand and know that there is a better option than this low fat, high carb, standard American diet, processed food, sugar, like you don't need these foods. I mean, in many cases, if you're, if your health is not good, if you're obese, if you're diabetic, if you have kidney failure, if you're depressed, um, if you're struggling with an eating disorder, if you have heart issues, it makes sense to take a really hard look and be like, is there a better way? You know? Yeah. I mean, look at the people at Verda doing such wonderful, you know, work with people and they're doing an ongoing randomized trial right now. And their numbers are insane. Tons and tons and tons of people getting off meds, you know, not needing insulin anymore. It's it's incredible, and and it's maintainable yeah. for a lot of people. Oh, absolutely! Like the the rate, um, the sustainability rate of low carbohydrate diets is through the roof because they, you know, you have to be able to eat in a way that is going to keep you full. Like nobody wants to feel hungry. You know, nobody wants to feel deprived. Um, the human body is designed to crave and desire certain foods. We need fat. We need saturated fat. We need amino acids. We need protein, right? And so when we're eating those things, when we're eating the meat and fat, we feel satiated. We feel calm. 
you know, think about a time you've ever eaten just like a steak, like, Oh, I'm full for several hours. Where if you eat like a bowl of pasta, you know, or a big thing of cereal, it's like, you're looking for a snack like two hours later, you know? Mm. Um, so yes, they ha- they're having great success. Um, at Verda, I think there's, and it's awesome that they're, you know, kind of doing this long-term study. Um, and then, you know, with, with so many other things, you know, we live in a society where it's very taboo to not eat sugar. Like, well, what's wrong with you? Why can't you have a cookie? Why can't you have a piece of cake? Why can't you whatever? And, um, you know, we, we have people that have true food addictions. We know that processed foods, you know, change the neurochemistry of our brain. So there's, there's all kinds of things that are working (laughs) against us to try to make sustainable change. Um, and what else? Oh, Alzheimer's. So we wanted to, I cannot believe, like I was really, I was just, I was livid that the physicians committee was able to put something saying that, oh, you know, the keto is supposed to help Alzheimer's, but it doesn't. They, we had a randomized um, control trial just recently. It was just published this last freaking year. And I will, um, I pulled this up. I'll read you the, it was a ketogenic diet versus just um, a low fat, like a uh, standard American diet. And the conclusion was compared with the usual diet supplemented um, with low-fat, healthy eating. Patients on the ketogenic diet improved in daily function and quality of life, two factors of great importance to people living with dementia. So that's huge. That's huge. The ketogenic diet improved their quality of life. Yeah, I love that one. (laughs) daily function, like as someone who's dealing with a loved one with dementia, like all of a sudden your, your loved one's able to function better, like hell yeah. And the fact that that was that, that was completely left out. Right. Um, and obviously one of the theories is the brain is utilizing ketones versus glucose. And it's just the fact that we are not talking about this and the fact that more people aren't getting out in front of this and saying like, this is nonsense and this is BS, you know, but you always have to kind of follow the money. Like who profits from people eating plant-based diets, you know, yeah, processed right. food companies, do, um, Coca-Cola, like a lot of processed food companies, a lot of pharmaceutical companies. I mean, who profits if people get better? You know, I've always said in healthcare, you know, I, I cannot heal you. If I heal you as a, as a pr- practitioner, then I lose you as a customer. Yep. I cannot kill. I can't kill you. Yep. If I kill you, then I also lose you as a customer. So the only way is that I have to keep you perpetually sick. For as and long like, I mean, as possible. Nobody, yes. And nobody goes into healthcare doing it. I'm not saying that like doctors, nurses, everybody's amazing. They're amazing humans and they're trying to do their very best, but the system is set up to where we really can't help people. I mean, as a dietitian, when I discovered low carb and I just wanted to shout it from the rooftops, I was immediately told like, no, you will not. You will prescribe the standard American diet and chart that, or you will be suspended and lose your license, you know? So it's hard, but you know, I'm grateful for you and your podcast. And I'm grateful that we have time and this opportunity to just break down these, these, these lies. And I also just encourage people to really like take a step back and use your common sense. You know, how, how have we been eating throughout evolution? You know, how do I feel when I get rid of processed foods? How do I feel when I eat a lot of cookies, cakes, nonsense, you know, does that make sense? How do I feel when I eat a lot of like vegetable? Like if I have a big salad for, for lunch, Am I hungry an hour later? Well, yeah. Well, maybe because I'm a human and I need meat and fat. <laughs> you know, plant-based diets, uh, they generally are very difficult to sustain for a lot of people because they don't have enough um, saturated fat and bioavailable amino acids. So, yeah. 
Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, the, the common sense thing makes the most sense for the cancer claim, in my opinion. Like, get, sugar, totally way more likely the cancers are related to sugar than they are anything else you could eat. I would get that out of anybody who had cancer, get out of their diet as quick as possible. Uh, that seems terrible to me. Another claim that this thing makes is that um, keto isn't safe for the long term. Like, come on. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's when I, I had the opportunity to interview Dr. Um, Eric Westman, who has done over 30 years of research on low carbohydrate nutrition. He's um, authored and been on panels for, you know, clinical studies, randomized controlled trials. And he said it is the, you know, out of all the studies, it's the most studied, it's the um, most effective, safest, most efficacious, the most has the most efficacy, works the best out of any diet, whether that's the vegetarian diet, vegan diet, Mediterranean diet. So even if you're not looking at throughout entire human evolution, like if you just want to start today, what's been researched and studied, um, a low carbohydrate diet is, is very, is the safest diet out there. And then once again, if you want to use common sense and say like, okay, well, what were humans eating throughout evolution? That's what we did. You know, we know, obviously, depending on where you, where you, um, lived, if you lived closer to the equator, you ate more, um, vegetation, but even throughout evolution, you know, a vegetation doesn't look like it did today. You know, our bananas, carrots, uh, fruit, peaches, where they were small, they were bitter. They, um, they didn't seasonal. have a lot of sugar. They were seasonal. Yeah, very seasonal. So, you know, and, and often people would go, especially in colder climates for months, if not years at a time without eating much vegetation, just because you also didn't need to, you know, there was so much nutrition in the, in the fat and in the organs and in the meats of animals. So, so yeah, that it just, it's really interesting that, you know, that's the power of marketing and propaganda, right? That you, there's genuinely people out there that believe that eating a beyond burger that was created in Silicon Valley, you know, and, uh, having, you know, avocados and quinoa flown in from around the country is like better for the planet and better for their health than just eating a meat you get at your local farmer's market. It's, mm. uh, it's really sad. And it's, um, it's just not how the human species was designed to be. Like if somebody came up to me and said like, look, I just, I hate the taste of meat. I can't eat it. I, texture is terrible. I know it's good for my health. I just can't do it. I'd be like, okay, that's fair. Like you're an adult. You get to choose what you want to do. But to be like, oh, that's bad for you. That's bad for the planet. That's that's false. <laughs> like, you know, just like any other species, you know, humans have the have the the physiology. They have the digestive system to effectively break down and extract nutrition very well from animal products. We are not able to do that very well from plant products. So. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's exactly how I know where the money is flowing in this whole scheme, because it's like you have, you know, the, the one set of people that love the planet and love, you know, animals and would never eat them. And they get so angry, like to the level of like death threats to certain people. And everybody on the other side is like, we're, we're just cool. Like you can go do whatever you want. We're not trying to tear you down. Like if I'm selling Ford cars, I'm going to go learn about Ford cars. I'm not going to go to the street corner and yell at everybody who drives a Chevy and say they're a fucking idiot. Like that makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it's an emotionally charged argument. It's not a, um, uh, it's not a logical, scientifically charged argument I found. And I often get attacked by uh, traditional dietitians and vegans. Um, and it's very emotion-based and you can't, you can't argue with emotion. And I'm not interested in that. Like you and I talked offline, like my, my goal is to share my story and what's helped heal me and what the science says. And 
what I've seen, I mean, I've seen amazing transformations, uh, physical transformations, people losing hundreds of weight and reversing diabetes and, um, you know, all kinds of different like, skin issues. And they just look like a different human. But even more importantly to me is the um, mental transformations I've seen, you know, and myself, I got rid of lifelong anxiety. I've seen people um, debilitating depression, suicidal ideation that have just come out of it. People with bipolar disorder and schizophrenia have their symptoms improve, um, all by switching from a standard American diet or a vegan diet to a very high, uh, animal-based high fat, low carb animal-based diet. So, you know, if, if this way of eating can help people, I'm all about it. <laughs> I have no interest in getting on other websites and fighting and screaming and whatever. Like that's just silly to me. Yeah, totally agree. We have seen so many amazing transformations and we were the same. We would just like to sit in our little corner of the world. And if people want to join us for this magical adventure and, you know, increased you know, quality of life and mental clarity and energy. And, you know, you want to play with your kids and not have your joints hurt. Like, come along with us. We're, we're so willing to share. If you don't want to, that's fine. I'm not going to go start bitching at you on Twitter because you don't. Like, it's okay. <laughs> like, we just want to show you that there might be a better way. There, there's one kind of last thing I want to point out that it's so, it's so effective and it's so tricky and scammy. Um, and I see it all the time. And, and one of the things that they said in the study was if you eat more keto foods, that's going to weed out, um, other foods that are healthy, like vegetables, fruits, and whole grains. And, and they, it's, it's an interesting claim that has no basis in science. It wasn't cited linked to a study. So you're, it, 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 it's an interesting way of making an assumption based on what everybody just at this point just kind of thinks they know. And it's almost like if, if you go back like 40 or 50 years and you see a, a, a car go by really fast and it's red and you say, wow, that car is really fast and it's red. And if you keep repeating the message, you might be able to slowly start working in the message that red cars are fast. And it, it, it's basing the, the, the whole argument on something that isn't necessarily proven or true. It's just what somebody thinks about it. And everybody jumps on that bad wagon. And you have this like straw man argument that is, well, fruits and, and vegetables and whole grains are healthy. We all know that. And if you eat more meat, you're not going to eat as much of that stuff. It's bullshit. It's really effective. <laughs> it's so funny. It's like, I would, I would come back at them with like the opposite argument. You know, I would say like, I wish people would eat less fruits and vegetables and whole grains, specifically the whole grains and more meat and fat, you know, um, what, what they're using and what I often see in the, the vegan community. And even in the study cited that fruits, vegetables, and whole grains are high in fiber, fiber helps reduce LDL. We've already gone over that. That's, that's not necessarily helpful, <laughs> but that's their, that's kind of their sticking point, you know? And, um, I know a lot of people who eat a low carbohydrate ketogenic diet and still include fruits and vegetables. You know, it's not like, it's certainly there are a lot of, uh, vegetables out there that are low carb. Um, some people like myself who are very active, you know, I'm an ultra runner, that I, you know, I certainly eat some berries here and there, but I'm also like, even when I was zero carb for a while, like I'm not worried about my nutritional status. You can get all the nutrition you need from meat and fat. <laughs> there's not a single nutrient. There's not a vitamin, a amino acid. And that's not true for the plant kingdom. That's like, maybe we should say that louder. Like you cannot get, if you are a vegan and you do not supplement your diet, you will die or you will get very sick because there is no B12. There is no K2. There is no uh, performed vitamin A, you know, and that's why we often see people. Um, there's a reason that vegans have statistically very low 
B12 and uh, low EPA and DHA, um, very susceptible to bone fractures, um, lots of different things. So you don't need fruit, you don't need vegetables, you do need meat and fat. Can you have some fruit and vegetables on a ketogenic diet? Absolutely. And um, yeah, that's great. And the more quote unquote whole grains that people eat, I feel like the more the sicker we've gotten as a nation. You know, I work in the hospital, people were eating toast and rice and pasta and, you know, and now of course whole grains are in cereals and cookies and crackers. People are quote unquote eating whole grains all day and it's killing us as a nation. So, so yeah, I'll come back to them and say, Hey, if you eat keto, you're going to eat less of these. Good. <laughs> you should be. I wish my diabetic patients would stop eating bananas. And I wish the population in general would stop eating, you know, breads and cereals and all this stuff. So, um, yeah, those are those things are not necessary for health, and then more often than not, they may, um, especially if you're if you have any kind of metabolic issue, they might exacerbate that. So, mm. well, Michelle, we were just so grateful for you that you would come on the show and help us, um, you know, kind of talk about these things because this seems to happen, you know, every few months where there's a new headline, you know, keto's ranked 40 out of 40 for diets that you can do based on expert opinion. And there's like diets on there that haven't even been like mentioned for like 40 years. Like it's just such bullshit. And the problem is it's not just bullshit that is not true. And it's like, quietly, like not making a big deal. This has real impacts on people. And it, it is, it is so important. I agree with you to look at this as a business decision, look at it as a, as a complete industry. And what is the best way for them to make money? If you eat frequently, you will buy more food. If you're hungry, you are going to eat more frequently. You're going to eat things that sound good. And these foods are engineered to be maximally, you know, tasty, salty, crispy, crunchy, like the best foods. And, and people just, they, they have no choice. And yet they'll sit there and say, well, Oh, keto stupid. It's like, come on. <laughs> So I'm so grateful for you to to take a deep dive into some of these things. And just for the listener, like this, people want your money. They want to take your money and you really have to be critical about this. And the, the health of you and your family and loved ones depends on you making some really critical decisions. Like you said, Michelle, I thought that was so important. Like use common sense. How do you feel? What makes you more hungry or less hungry? Do you need to go to the doctor every month or do you just feel good and go out and enjoy your life? Like those things are so important to really think about yet people just see the headline and get scared and say, oh, I knew, I knew keto was a fad. I knew it. <laughs> Go back. Yeah, to doing you doing. Know, I would wrap it up by saying, yeah, if you're someone who you feel like you need to eat every few hours, lest you have a emotional or a physical breakdown, or you feel dizzy or shaky. That's not normal. If you're going to the doctor every few months with a sinus infection or asthma or allergies, that's not normal. If you have severe cystic acne, if you have major anxiety, if you can't sleep at night, these things are not normal. You know, and are unfortunately, we're not, um, as you know, doctors and even dietitians, we're not talking about how to, how diet, how switching to lower carb and animal um, base can really shift your life and shift your health. And so, you know, take a minute. I hope people listening to this will take a step back and say, like, wow, you know, maybe, maybe you do struggle with these things. And it's also like, you know, I don't, I don't have kids. So my non-existent kids are perfect. Right. But, you know, you get to decide what's in your house. You know, you don't have to have a bunch of sugary junk and nonsense in your house. You can, you know, stock your house with things that are healthy and good for you. You don't have to treat yourself with ice cream and cookies. You can go and go for a walk. You can get a massage. You can go to the park, you know, um, 
I often want worry that we're, we're, we're letting foods and processed foods just kind of take over our life, our celebrations, our sadnesses, our every day. So I also just encourage people just to, to kind of think about where you're at and think about how you use food. I love that. What a great way to end this. Michelle Hearn, um, where would you like people go to find you and to find your work and connect with you? Yeah. So I'm super excited. I just released, um, you know, I have my book, The Dietitian's Dilemma, and it's now on uh, as an audiobook. So if you go on Amazon, you can get it on Audible. It's also on iTunes. Um, if you're someone who drives around and just can't, doesn't want to read, it is also available as a hardcover and a Kindle book. Um, so that's, that would be great. That supports me. Um, <laughs> I no longer work in the hospital setting, so I'd really appreciate the support. Uh, you can find me on social media. You can find me on uh, Instagram at run, eat, meet, repeat. You can find me on Twitter at Michelle Hearn RD and my website, the dietitians dilemma.net. That is excellent. We will link to all of that for the listener. If you haven't listened to episode 80 of our show, I would definitely recommend you go back. Her book really is tremendous. And Michelle, I mean, you just have such an amazing story and so willing to share it with people um, so that it can help. And we're so grateful for all of that and everything that you've done. So grateful to listen to your book. Um, I have the the paper copy, but now I'm I'm going to download the um, audiobook as well. Did you do the reading for that? I did. I did the reading and uh, my, my wife did the, um, some of the testimonies and her brother did the, or she did the female testimonies. Her brother did the male testimonies. That's amazing. I love that. Well, again, thank you so much for everything that you do. And thank you for coming on to do this show today. I just think this is really critically important and people need to think about this. So thank you so much for appearing and answering our questions and talking about, um, some bullshit science. (laughs) We really appreciate it. (laughs) You're welcome. Thanks again for having me on. Absolutely. It's always an honor. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio.